Subject PV's four businesses sustain criminal enterprises and serve as gathering spots for known criminals and homosexuals. All four are police agency protected, which should serve to hinder you in your takeover strategy. The Cockpit Lounge, protected by Washoe County Sheriff's Department, is a distribution point for homosexual pornography, films, photographs, Mexican-made fetish paraphernalia, and amyl nitrate vials pilfered from the Washoe County Medical Center. Male prostitutes congregate on the premises, and payphones are used as contact points for date-a-boy service, run by cockpit bartenders Raymond Gay Ray Birnbaum, white male, 39, see rap sheet index, and Gary DeHaven, white male, 28, see index. Subject PV allegedly receives a percentage of all profits accrued from felonious enterprises conducted on the cockpit premises. To the six, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I don't never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane by the visit, Glen Rock, need crypto. Told me I should bring the Glock with me, so I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding? Oh, you love to see it. Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking From the birds to the bricks, we be in the mix With that rare candy paint job on the whip, who you with? Welcome back to the Gain of Fiction Lab. Uh, here at the Gain of Fiction Lab, we take classic works of fiction, put them under a microscope, weaponize them against the general public, perhaps cause mass hysteria, mass responses, <laughs> all sorts of things like that. Um, now, we turned, we turned one years old, and we also turned 25 volumes old uh today so that's pretty cool um so the first episode of gain of fiction was michael Crichton's jurassic park and it was it came out on january 1st however it was recorded on this exact day uh december 28th so that's really cool and this is uh, volume 25 i can't believe it and neither can the haters uh the haters have stooped <laughs> so low that they're i mean they're contacting guys that don't even aren't even alive anymore j edgar hoover Dwight Hawley, you know, all these guys, they're contacting him and saying, we need to put a like an Operation Black Rabbit together and stop this from happening. They're standing on Memphis. They're standing on their balcony and we need to take them out. <laughs> That's what's happening right now. But I am proud and I, I swear to God, this the books take time. But when I first started this, I knew I was going to do the cold 6000. I knew I was going to do it and I knew who I was going to ask. And I'm glad he's here. Uh, the I, I, editor in chief, is that the way to say it? Founder? CEO, CFO of Apocalypse Confidential? Is that are all those titles? Apple all of that works, yeah. All of that works. Jacob Everett, how's it going, hey, man? Good, how are you doing, man? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I guess you could say big swing and dick at Apocalypse Confidential, the uh, em- the eminence gris. I'm trying to think of sort of more Elrovian ways to put that. The kingpin, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Apocalypse Confidential is just one big fuck pad. Exactly. Yeah, it's the safe house. It's the it's the it's the um. yeah. Well, first off, what you, what you've done is great. And I love sometimes on the timeline, you go back to that original tweet of I'm going to start this. Yeah, this thing. And like there are, I as somebody who kind of we don't do the same thing, but I, I understand what what it took to get this thing off the ground, get this thing rolling, get this thing to kind of like 
become survive in the environment kind of on its own a little bit. I, I know how hard that is, how hard it is to stand out. So first off, congrats on on getting that off the ground. You guys are putting out like tangible work for people, um, highlighting artists. And now what we do over here is I'm trying to get people back into reading to create the audience, to create the demand for new fiction, because I think a lot of people have just submitted to the like Viking rape fantasy, uh, 800 page Viking rape fantasy novels. Nothing wrong with that. However, that just seems to be the only thing that sells right now. Um, but I want, I know there's a demand. There's secretly a demand for the stuff you guys put out for the stuff that, um, broken river puts out all, all this, all this stuff. So that's, I think these things can work hand in hand. Oh, definitely. And yeah, it's, yeah. when you mentioned that 800 page, uh, Viking rape fantasy that I feel like that could be pretty good if written by Elroy or one of these oh. other, can you, you know, uh, shotgun wielders of hard-boiled uh, fiction that you've highlighted. And yeah, it's definitely, it's, you know, a part of that, every time I sort of highlight that original tweet, you know, a part of it is definitely pride in the hard work, but also it's kind of, uh, as Elroy talks about it in the Underworld USA trilogy, it's sort of, uh, it's uh, self-mythologizing because, you know, you're you're only going to be able to, be the one to do that and i think it's just like a fun thing to like highlight that tweet as like a sort of like self-aggrandizement thing and a self-mythologizing thing of like all right it's happy app conception day and you know who knows maybe uh 20 years from now it'll be a thing but you know you got to start somewhere 100 percent, dude like it's like when people you know pull up the brady stanella's tweet of him wanting to have sex with like the the crippled kid on breaking bad like 10 years yeah. ago i mean that's it's that's that's a, a moment in time i mean I, i'd say maybe what you started was a little more impactful but you know <laughs> in that exact tweet but i think about that tweet all the time it's just it just pops in um so that it's really cool to do that and i i noticed too um and it's partially it's got to be because of 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 where you're from and, and where you're at in the pacific northwest but there is you, you guys lean into some high strangeness, which I like a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, our sort of lodestar beginning this year and kind of moving forward is low lives and high strangeness. Love it. Which, you know, that's sort of a riff on the whole cyberpunk idea of like low lives and high technology. Sure. And it's all about, you know, the intersection of people in sort of various stripes of criminal or precarious like it's not necessarily you know people outright doing crimes mm -hmm. but like sometimes just people in the outskirts of society and all that stuff who then are intersect with whether it's paranormal or parapolitical mm -hmm. um that kind of thing and i think i think a def i don't know maybe call it parapunk I mean, that's Ooh, a little like too it. close to like, I do like it. I do paraplegic or paralegal or something like that. Uh, but like, definitely the vibe is there. Cause like, I feel like that is definitely, you know, the vibe of the moment. Like, I think the vibe, you know, talking a lot about vibes right now, but the vibe that we want is you're in the getaway car or you're in the car with the contract killer at like three in the morning and he's going on his way to a job or he's coming back from a job right. and he's listening to like a classic episode of like coast to coast F AM. And you know, it's, it's that kind of sense of like, you're, you're kind of threading the needle of the underworld in like sort of every sense of the word. 
I think that's perfectly described. I picture like dragged across concrete, Vince uh, Vince Vaughn and and uh, Mel Gibson sitting in the car, but Mel Gibson turns on like a 1997 uh, Dreamland episode or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're, yeah, they're I like, like listen to the Mel's whole episode or whatever. <laughs> That's a, that's a good one too. Uh, excellent. Excellent. Um, so a couple things you, you guys do, you guys have themes that, that you put out on, on, on the site or like, so re- just recently, and it's pretty accurate. It's pretty apt for what we're about to discuss today, but you Absolutely. had the bad, bad, bad back Jack, um, kind of JFK theme. Um, one that I thought was, uh, was, was quite interesting was, was there was some, was there Dell web was a part of, uh, of, of something you guys were pushing in a, in apocalypse confidential recently. I, I saw the name Dell web and like kind of the sun, my, my grandparents live in a Dell web community. So I thought that was, Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was for our, uh, dust, uh, John dust. Ford in the atomic frontier, uh, special. And that was, yeah, it's the kind of sense that like, you know, with the old West having been, uh, tamed or whatever you want to say the next frontier kind of being uh the explosion of like yeah both you know literal explosion like mushroom cloud and then like the explosion of like suburban expansion and uh and so yeah i think that was definitely in the prompt for in like the introduction for that dust special Excellent, excellent. Um, so yeah, I mean, let everyone know where to find it real fast. And I'm sure most of our listeners know. Uh, um, we've had we've had some of your contributors on here for this very program, but but please let everyone know where to find it. Oh yeah, it's apocalypse-confidential.com, and then on uh, the socials, we're at appcon underscore mag on Twitter or X, and uh, apocalypse underscore confidential on Instagram. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago when I was kind of just getting into Elroy. I remember one time I, I posted I had finished the big nowhere. Uh, I remember how I finished the big nowhere. I had about 100 pages left and I had an off day on Saturday. And I even though it wasn't the most shocking part of the book, because that happens actually about halfway through the book of the big nowhere, where you're just like, oh, yeah, where my my world is turned upside down. I was uh, I was drinking some some kind of nitro coffee that uh maybe like you know could have panera charge lemonade <laughs> i i was sitting in this reading chair behind me um in this beautiful corner of, of my one bedroom uh polanski tenement and i was i was i was reading it and i just i'd finished it and i took a picture i was like this is one of the best things i've ever read and now i remember you had commented you would say that that's my favorite of the quartet which you're correct. That is the best one of the quartet. But I was like, well, what's the best Elroy? And you had said the cold 6,000. I said, all right, right. boom. I have a piggy bank. I just stored that in my brain for a couple couple years later. Um, not everyone likes the cold 6,000. Couldn't be me, but not everybody right. likes the cold 6,000. Elroy adopts a, um, a, very, a very weird staccato kind of uh, manic tone because, well, he is manic and he's insane. And especially around this part of his life, uh, it is probably the most insane that he was since he was sleeping on a bench in the parks in L.A. and, and homeless. Uh, he had kind of returned to that a little bit. But before we get to that, what is, when did you first stumble upon James Elroy and his work? Well, what, I mean, 
everybody knows the first time they read something this crazy. So I'd like to Yeah, the, the Elroy Boy origin story for me is um, – let's see. I mean, I, I think I had seen L.A. Confidential before. Yeah. But, like, you, I just sort of re- – it just registered. I mean, it's, it's a great crime flick, but it just registered. It's like, all right, that's that its own thing kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, how did I get into Elroy? I remember just browsing – the stacks at uh, Powell's, mm, nice. um, you know, years ago. And uh, like, I just stumbled upon the cover of American tabloid, like the sort of re-release yeah. one with like the dead, like the designed by chip kid, like with like the mm-hmm. crime scene photo and stuff. And that, you know, I put that in the piggy bank as well. I was like, all right, I want whatever that is. Yeah. But I think I was, I, I think I was on like a hairy turtle dove tick to kick at that time. And so I was like, all right, I got to re find some other book about how time travelers gave the South AK 47s or whatever. Um, and uh, so I had sort of in my piggy bank and then I was taking an independent reading class freshman year of high school, which was basically just, study hall but you read a few books over the semester and then you do book reports on them basically Mm -hmm. and i was looking for uh serpent in the rainbow the book that the movie was based on and i couldn't find it and i i've always been someone who is reddit reticent to ask for like you know if i'm at a store I and I can't find something. I don't want to ask the help. You know, I don't want to right, ask for right. help. Um, and so I couldn't find Serpent in the Rainbow. But then I remembered, oh yeah, that one book with like the guy leaking on the concrete. I want that one. And so I went to find it, and it was American Tabloid, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I read that instead. And yeah, and I mean, ever since then, it's been just like full-on Elroy, I, you know, read that one. I read the rest of the uh, Underworld trilogy, which at that time it was just Cold 6000. Uh, Bloods of Rover wasn't out yet. Oh, wow. Um, I read the uh, L.A. Quartet, and I remember uh, this sort of like a fun little part. Uh, Bloods of Rover, there was a big excerpt of it running in an issue of Playboy, and I was still, it was still slightly too young to buy Playboys on my own from Barnes and Noble at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and so like I had my mom call them and buy it for me. And then I went to go pick it up and they were sort of giving me shit. And I was like, you, do I, do I need to put my mother on the line? Like I was doing like a proto Karen type thing. That's funny. And, but then they were like, all right, well, it's paid for. So here you go. And so, yeah, I have to be one of the first people in the galaxy to uh, have purchased a Playboy for an article. I I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like, you're, you're like, no, you don't understand it. Like I'm buying this computer cleaner to clean my computer. (laughs) Electronics. I'm not huffing it. Um, That's what I actually did in high school. So that's why I I didn't read a lot in high school. Um, (laughs) I, uh, so mine was uh, very parasocial. I know there's a lot of people that don't ever want to admit that they learned something from a podcast. Um, However, I don't know who would I be to say that that's, that's a bad thing. Uh, That sick perv howling mutant sold the book. 
um, the Black Dahlia to me. It was just like like uh, not literally. I didn't fly to New York and buy it from him, but he he <laughs> he uh, he sent me. Uh, he was talking with Brendan about it, um, and I, I was like. I was really trying to get it back into reading. I had read some like Hemingway and it was good, of course, but it's just like it didn't make me want to pick up the next book and just establish that that constantly having a book going uh, thing. I read I read J.G. Ballard's Crash, loved it, like, but it, but all of those didn't make me get into reading um, uh, the way that the Black Dahlia did. And I'm glad I started at the quartet. Because that's his most accessible series uh, by far, I, I would say. And um, so I start with the Black Dahlia and I am just I am just enthralled. I, ca I can't believe a book can be this is kind of in my head. I didn't know you could do this. I didn't know you could take a real murder and just kind of like we all do our own fan fiction. Um, I actually have a, a take that I think I think fan fiction is not even bad. I actually think historical fiction is fan fiction. And I think oh, that, like it all is, it's not just like Sailor Moon working at Starbucks, you know, like manga <laughs> or something like it's not and that, that. Hey, write that if that's what you want to write. But I think this Elroy mastered fan fiction and it when I read Black Dahlia, I immediately went to the big nowhere. And that was it's still the craziest reading experience I've ever had in my life and um, moved on to L.A. Confidential. I got to white jazz and I I, I will say I'm one of few people that or not one of few people, but I'm of the ilk that I didn't particularly care for white jazz. Um, even though I know a lot of people that's like their favorite, but it just, for me, I, I don't know. I, I didn't buy into the Dave Klein. I don't think I was ready for the style, the pros that he had in that. Um, that's interesting. Cause cold 6,000 is definitely closest to white jazz. In I terms think you're of right. I think style. I need to go back is what I'm saying. Cause yeah. I loved that. Now, I, now I, I feel like, like, I feel like white jazz and now that I, I've I've taken down tabloid and and cold six thousand, I feel like I'll immediately like white jazz now. And that's not to say I didn't like it. It just I found it as it, it didn't grab me the way the other ones the other ones did. But um, then I you know start this program, gain of fiction, and American tabloids on there, and I immediately go to that. And we 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 have an episode on that. So if you if you want to just pretend that you read. James Elroy's uh, first two underworld <laughs> things. You can listen to that episode in this one that we're doing right now. And you'll be caught up. But uh, we we covered that, and I I liked it a lot. However, I I was kind of like there. The cold six thousand confirmed that I'm like this can get nastier and grosser. And, oh yeah, and that's why I I actually think this is his his masterpiece. Um, I think. Uh, the Big Nowhere is, I think, his more genre masterpiece, and I think Cold Six Thousand is his literary masterpiece. Um, and then some will say my my Dark Places might be actually the best thing he ever wrote, which I do. I I will, I will never argue with that because that is that is a whole level of like earnest stuff that he's doing in that book that just really, really you won't find anywhere else. The Sid the Surplus Sergeant Store, 521 East Fremont, serves as a pickup point for male prostitutes working out of the Glow Ann Motel, 604 East Fremont, and as a contact point for chicken hawks, older or married homosexual men who prey on young boys, attempting to instigate assignations. Losing gamblers and male UNLV students anxious to earn money congregate in the parking lot and sleep in their cars in hope of promoting dates. The store manager, Sammy Silk Ferrer, white male, 44, also a monarch cab driver. <laughs> 
see Rap Sheet Index. Permits set dates to occur in back rooms on the store premises and often surreptitiously films them through hidden wall peaks. Ferrer compiles film footage, edits it into pornographic loops, and sells said loops out of the Hunky Monkey Bar, a notorious establishment catering to rough trade homosexuals. Ferrer and subject Peavy also screen pornographic films, homosexual and heterosexual content, in back rooms on the premises. This is a recreational activity for Monarch Cab personnel and their favorite customers. Note, actors Rock Hudson and Salmoneo and ex-heavyweight champ Sonny Liston are Monarch Cab, Golden Cavern habituates, and frequently view films at Sid the Surplus Sergeant. So, just a few things about the Colt 6000. Um, if you're not uh, an Elroy boy, be ready to become one because uh, I, I, it's what you're missing in life. Uh, the problem when you read Elroy is the minute you try to find something like Elroy, you don't. You have to just keep reading him again because you're just, I, I don't know. I've, I've tried with other crime fiction and I, I do like it, but it just doesn't give me that, that kind of like almost uh, Dionysian excess. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, it's right. Mm -hmm. It's very infectious. Like you, you, if you read Elroy and then you read anyone else and you like you're reading a sentence by some other author, you're like, why is this sentence more than two words long? <laughs> yeah. Why, and why then aren't you cussing? Why aren't you cussing? Why aren't there, why isn't there shit smells everywhere? You yeah, know? exactly. Or like, God forbid that you're a writer because if you read Elroy, your writing is only going to be Elrovian and that sort of uh, telegram maximalist style, that quantalism. I think you're right. And if you go to Goodreads, there are a lot of aspiring writers that did not understand the cold 6,000 or, or just didn't get why he did what he did. First off, The Cold 6000. Correct me if I'm wrong here. This is the first novel since My Dark Places, right? Like since he did the journey of of finding uh who killed his mother. Uh, uh Yeah, exactly. This was because American Tabloid I think it won or was nominated for the National Book Award. It won. Yeah, it won. Mm -hmm. It sort of, it definitely elevated him. Like he had always been like a crime fiction darling and very successful right. in that lane. And then American tabloid elevated him. And a part of it is because he openly cited Libra by Don DeLillo as a reference. So I think that was able, that was something that like the literary critics and stuff were able to latch onto. It's like, okay, so he's, he's in the tradition of great sort of postmodernism or whatever. And then, uh, my dark places came out like 96, I think. I think so. And then uh, L.A. Confidential, the movie was 97. Mm -hmm. And so he was he was sort of probably at and I think there were like a couple of documentaries scattered around there. And so by the time he was sitting down to write Cold 6000 and by the time it came out, he was sort of like at the height of his sort of literary self self celebrity, you know? Yeah, it's it's amazing. And um. I, I before we really dive into the the characters of this book and the and the events of this book, I was um I I hadn't actually read um or I, I did an audiobook of my dark places while I was reading this book and then also while I was doing my my runs on vacation went through uh Stephen Powell's brilliant 
biography of of James Elroy, uh, Love Me Fierce in Danger, I believe it's called. Uh, yes. un- unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. I thought I knew a lot about him. Uh, I didn't know how bad it got. Uh, the, the that's kind of what you'll get from that from that uh, biography by again by Stephen Powell. Uh, he Elroy lived an entire failed writer's life before he succeeded. I mean, it was and and when I say failed writer, I don't just mean guy who was a tenured professor with an alcohol with alcoholism and couldn't hit, get the big break. Like, no, this guy was a bum. Like, oh, yeah. and I I don't and I don't mean to, to disparage him, but he'd call himself that. Uh, just an absolute bum. I mean, his mother is murdered in a just a grotesque way. I mean, only Elizabeth Short's murder really are the ones you can put uh, over what happened to his mother. Um, and, and he's young at the time. I don't even think he's 10 years old when this happens. And then his father, who was this older kind of swindler of a man, uh, his father's voice comes out in almost all his work with all the celebrity gossip. His father was Rita Hayworth's kind of unofficial manager for a while. A lot of, he had a lot of unofficial jobs. So Elroy, I, I mean, Powell really captures the fact that this guy never understood how to like be a human being um, until he was like a, a writer. Uh, and even then some would argue he didn't know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it depends on who you ask, but the, the he's, doing these like mothball things that are in inhalers where they, they get you like a meth high for like eight hours. I mean, he's like a true dope fiend. Yeah. He uh, would like swallow the mothballs, like dumped in like whatever, like Dexedrine or whatever kind of shit. And like, yeah, sleeping on park benches, he developed like a cyst in his lungs or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah he, and like, he was like, going around like you know like stealing women's panties like doing like basic like b and e's and stuff like that like it's i was i've always been fascinated by like how he could have easily like i don't know turned into like a fucking like serial killer or something a hundred percent earl <laughs> earl james elroy we would have known him by his three names or something yeah it would have been earl it would have been earl it, would yeah, have been, it wouldn't have been Elroy. Lee. He would have ditched the, the Lee. His killer name would have been like Earl Elroy or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, Earl James Elroy. You got to have three names, right? I mean, you, you have to have three names if you're going to kill a bunch of people. Yeah. But the, yeah, he's, he's, hasn't even written a word yet. That was his, one of his biggest obstacles. He could break into somebody's house, he could steal a woman's panties, he could fantasize about having sex with his mom, he could jerk off eight times in an hour on meth. He could be a caddy for Charles Bronson at a golf course and party at Charles Bronson's house just for no that that's you know great move by Charles Bronson just giving a bunch <laughs> of like meth addict guys like your the keys to your house to party in. Uh, I could see why that grew old, but the there's a, there's a lot in that biography that I do uh, I do think everybody should should read or the audiobook's great too. The guy does a pretty good Elroy voice that the, uh, when when there's direct quotes which I, I really liked, but. Um, we say all that to say this. Um, he doesn't really have a hit for a while. Uh, he has the Lloyd Hopkins trilogy, which people go back and read. That's the power of like having you know a book of the years. People go back and read your older stuff too that otherwise would have died in the abyss. Um, he's really? also copying people at the time, which is not bad, but it's funny to see somebody who nobody could imitate now was actually copying people in the past. I guess he admits to... Uh, um, copying Thomas Harris for one of his Lloyd yeah. Hopkins novels because uh, Red Dragon was such a hit. He, he wanted a hit. He needed money. And, um, you know, there's a funny exchange. Some of my favorite authors like Brady Stanellis, uh, funny exchange of them writing each other uh, 
uh, writing to each other about how they both have masterpieces that are unappreciated or overhated. Uh, I believe Brady Sinellis loved the uh, serial killer novel that uh, Elroy did, which I'm I'm not I can't remember which one it is, but it's like his early one where he tried. Oh to yeah, write. like I think Killer on the Road. Killer on the Road, and then uh, of course uh, James Elroy loved uh, American American Psycho, and and uh, and so there there was a fun kind of dichotomy between that, and also as you said, Chip Kid earlier, Chip Kid uh, did the Jurassic Park Michael Crichton cover, which I didn't know, and did uh, and then did. Uh, um, of course, some of the great James Elroy covers. So that that's all great. Um, I intend. I I think everybody should go in there. Freud would have had a field day with James Elroy. I think that's that's fair to say. He's constantly chasing his mom, his woman worship, and kind of like aggressiveness towards women. It's all stems from his mom. It's it's all it's all there. Um, later in his life, he would have his own relationships that he would base characters on, especially in Bloods of Rover. But uh, the Colt 6000, 2001, uh, it's my copy's about 680 pages long. It's uh, it reads fast, though. It, it reads fast. And to anybody who critiques the style where it's the four word sentences, uh, what do you want? Did you want an 1100 page novel? I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I just mean like that. This is how this gets done. I mean, it's it's, you know, just a I, I've turned to one tab that I have. Sonny cracked a red devil. Sonny powdered a palm. Sonny sniffed the shit up. The girls strapped on dildos. A donkey appeared. El Burro wore Diablo horns. Pete walked outside. Pete found a payphone. Pete called the Stardust book. He placed a bet. 40 grand. Clay over listing. So it's just it, a lot happens. That's that is two lines. And and otherwise, that's seven pages long. Uh, the, these, the, you know, if you describe any more than that. And that's not to say he skimps on anything. You get everything in this. Um, a lot of people don't like it because, and I, I, this is something I just cannot agree with or see any part of. In American tabloid JFK, the people that read him for historical fiction, they JFK is kind of a character in there. You get your own character of JFK. Now, however, this one is based around Martin Luther King and uh, Bobby Kennedy, and neither of them are huge characters in there. But it's like, that's not the interesting part of the book. The interesting part of the book is Pete. It's it's Ward. It's Wayne. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's the uh, as he puts it in like the intro for American Tabloid. It's like that hidden infrastructure yes. of public events and like all the sort of the bad men who are who are doing stuff in the shadows rather than like the marquee names like JFK or Bobby or uh, Martin Luther King. And, and honestly, the most interesting of those like noticeable characters is J. Edgar Hoover anyways. So you get yeah. plenty of Hoover. You get plenty of Hoover. He's uh, Hoover rules. I think he's he's just like one of the best. I mean, I don't want anyone to clip that out of context, but he's great <laughs> in the he's great in, in in the Elroy universe. I'd kind of probably would be a fan if that was how he like I actually like got to like talk to him or something. It's hilarious. But I, I've, I've come to realize, too, um, the, so American tabloid uh, ends and that's it ends the day uh, and pretty much at the moment uh, Kennedy is assassinated. Uh, Jack Kennedy, of course. And it picks up kind of right after that, where these guys, Ward Little, um, Pete Bondurant, and then you're introduced to Wayne Tedrow. They're kind of cleaning up Dallas, which is the uh, which is where the assassination happened, of course, in 1963. Uh, and in American tabloid, you know, they're they're kind of they kind of seem like they're always in control but in cold 6000 it just seems like whatever it elroy always calls it it 
in the uh, in the book, just this big underworld is so much bigger than they ever anticipated. And it's it's overwhelming and, and, and dark in this. But essentially to try to sum up what what the character's objective is, is you have the, the advent of the Vietnam War. Johnson's ready to send the troops in. But uh, heroin is happening in, in Vietnam and the uh, all the guys that all the operations from Cuba um to stop you know with the bay of pigs and stuff that stuff is getting moved to vietnam you have wayne tedro uh who's a las vegas pd is sent to texas to murder a man named uh, wendell durfee in fact the first line of the book not going to repeat it but it's pretty funny right and uh it uh, lets you know exactly (laughs) that is is a defining line in the entire oeuvre of uh elroy because it just hits you it's like all right this is this is the vibe of the novel yeah yeah i I think a lot of people have trouble with the fact that he's in charge i I think a lot of people don't submit to what they read uh with elroy this is my sixth elroy book i'm fully in so i'm just like whatever you got for me james like like whatever you got for me i'm in a lot of people are like if especially if their first one was tabloid i mean that was yours but the first one when it's tabloid and you go to cold six it's kind of I, I think you're you're not ready for it i think if you've read the quartet i think you 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 you're ready for cold six thousand a little bit more um and i would not I, as much as i love the cold six thousand i would not ever say anybody should just start with that one ever oh no well first of all because it. it's the middle part of a trilogy exactly but, exactly but then but, also because yeah it, it's the style and it's a vibe and everything that you have to sort of ramp yourself up to and just to sort of like on the point about you saying like you know it's already always referred to as it like this sort of like vast chthonic kind of underworld that like they're sort of being overwhelmed by like that's why it it always reads like you know lovecraftian or like cosmic fiction to me because it's this idea of the underworld or the deep state or deep politics or whatever you want to call it sort of as this like dark force of history. And it's like these characters who, yeah, they might be sort of like bagmen or whatever, like on the ground, but they're just sort of like, they're just sort of doing what they have to do to survive. But with like, and the fact that American tabloid, it ends with the line of like, he braced himself for this big fucking scream. Yeah. And so it's the Kennedy assassination or the Kennedy clip rather. Yeah. It's, it becomes this kind of like revelatory kind of ritual where the characters realize that they're complicit and uh, sort of beholden to this like deep, dark, like almost like ancient one level evil which is underworld yeah thanks for bringing up lovecraft that was volume 24 of gain of fiction 100 uh, like you'd never think you'd see a parallel but i saw it too like it's yeah. just this it's this okay how far do you want to go you know and what would ward ward's life be if he never if he just never started doing any of this stuff he could have just been a pencil pusher he would have been an alcoholic and he probably would have killed himself with that but other than that like you know what would his life have been? What would Pete Bondurant's life be? I mean, he and not saying the alternative is great, but they 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 get sucked into this thing that they they cannot retire from. And I almost view it as like speaking of Lovecraftian, like Ghostbusters, right? Where it's like you have America's like doing well objectively at this point, 
right? Like they're doing, yeah. it's doing well. It's the sixties. You don't have the seventies recession yet. That's not happening. Uh, in fact, Elroy even says like when bloods are over ends, America ends essentially to him. And, but for the longest time you have the post-World War II, that, that boom. And it's all about like, okay. And in tabloid, his thesis is that America was never innocent, which regardless of your thoughts or patriotism or anything, you have to agree. And mm. they, you realize like this is these are the ghostbusters that stopped everything from going kaput you know what i mean that stop or or you might even be reading this going like damn i wish they would fail because that's yeah. ward that's ward essentially like you know uh, like ward doesn't necessarily want what's happening as far as the overall narrative and the the kind of like rightward push that hoover's trying to to put in you know yeah, he, he yeah he ha, he's definitely sort of the uh, the tragic hero of the story because he's like almost entirely motivated by like personal grievances. Yeah, Ward is, and that sort of puts him on this track that is basically the only redemption is via a self inflicted bullet, pretty much. Yeah, so let's let's start with Ward. I think that's the best way to talk about this book is just by character because it's it's you can go through plot points, but we'll be here till tomorrow. You know, if we talk yeah. about every single <laughs> plot point of this, um, the the uh, Ward Little, um, it's funny. I I was totally that gif of the kombucha lady trying kombucha for the first time with Ward, where I first I, first in American Tabloid, I'm like, fuck this guy. <laughs> then he becomes the sickest guy after his face blows off at Jules Schifrin's pad. You know what I mean? He becomes like the coolest guy for, for a long time. And then in Cold 6000, you're like, bro, like, what do you even want? You know what I mean? Like, what do you like? What do you he kind of, you know, James Elroy likes to toy with like bleeding heart men a little bit yeah. uh, politically where it's like you end up playing both sides. And Elroy has rules. They might his books might not seem like they have rules, but he has rules. And one of them is if you try to play both sides and don't quit while you're ahead, you don't survive the book. And right. yeah, you get fucked both sides. Kemper Boyd is a casualty in in in, uh, um, in American tabloid of trying to butter up, try to be both sides. It doesn't work out well for him. Uh, Ward Little, not going to say what happens at the end. It's it's sad. It's just sad. It's just it's it's embarrassing. It's like not a valiant end for him. It's uh, it's bad. But Ward is there originally to aid. He's working directly under Hoover, but he's there to skim money off of Howard Hughes, who is going to, who is, you know, Howard Hughes is, is so comical in this in this book. And he doesn't have a lot of lines, which I think a lot of people want the kind of the haters kind of wanted Howard Hughes to just be like a huge character in this book but he's yeah he's all, more, the, all the howard all the howard hughes stands came out of the woodwork they're like bro yeah i know it's like come on bro like i, I thought this was gonna be like i thought howard hughes was gonna have more lines like you know and just but it's like no howard hughes works as this he's kind of like uh uh julian in less than zero the novel he works better as this like overarching presence in the book well and then and to sort of underline the kind of horror aspect of it they always refer to him as Drac because he does yeah. like blood transfusions. And so he's this like, you know, there's the Dracularity to borrow from Pynchon of mm -hmm. Howard Hughes just sort of hold up in his, what is desert Inn suite. He has like all the disassembled like slot machines that like you could say are in analogous to like the, uh, the soil from Transylvania that Dracula has to bring with him. So he's just surrounded by like his like wealth, but it's like wealth that's like rendered into like just like 
change from slot machines. And so, yeah, it's, it makes more sense that he would be a presence rather than like a person in this novel, because he kind of like embodies that kind of like dark force of like a Dracula type figure. You just listened to a preview of one of our premium episodes. And to get access to the full thing, you got to be a paid subscriber to the Rare Candy Substack. That's rarecandy.substack.com. It's only $5 a month or $55 for the whole year. You get one month free if you do the whole year. You get access to premium Rare Candy episodes, my podcast, The Glen Word, and whatever the hell else we want to charge people for. Uh, again, that's rarecandy.substack.com. Thanks again.